savings versus income, which is best for your retirement or for your career change? We're going to talk about that on this episode of the Financial Momentum Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Financial Momentum Podcast. I'm Paul Airy, and I want to talk about savings versus income. If you're planning to retire someday, um, and I say if because some people don't retire, some people don't want to. I'm one of those people. I don't ever, ever plan on retiring, but if I did, I would sure have a plan for it, and it would not be a savings account. Okay. So I recently saw a video by Ed Milet. I have a lot of respect for Ed Milet, and I'm glad he did this video. He did a good job. He was talking about well, what he's doing is raising the alarm on people's savings habits or lack of, and uh, you know about how a lot of people are going to be in trouble someday when they get to retirement age, and they're not going to be able to retire uh, if they want to. And uh, you know the truth is. People just don't save any money. So our topic today is savings versus income. So his video caught my attention because, you know, I've done a couple of podcast episodes. In fact, my first two podcast episodes were were on the subject of retirement and the retirement deficit that we have in in our country, in the world, really. And, uh, you know, the truth is most people's retirement plans suck. They're horrible. They're inadequate or non-existent. And he was saying that if you make $80,000 per year right now, this was his example, and in order to maintain that standard of living when you retire, if you want to keep an $80,000 a year income, you would have to have saved $2 million and get 4% interest on that and withdraw that interest to live on it. That interest, a 4% interest on $2 million is about 80,000 a year. And that is correct. And then he said that, you know, that's if you retire today, if you retire in 30 years, your number needs to be $5 million. Now, why would that be? Well, that's inflation. If you retire today, here's the problem with that. If you have $2 million in savings, there's something here that's been left out. If you retire today and live another 30 years, your $2 million is not going to grow if you take out all the interest to live on. Now, inflation will continue to grow. Inflation will cause your cost of living to go up, and your standard of living will have to go down or you're going to have to start withdrawing more than the interest that you earn. Your your savings balance is going to decrease because you need, if you want to maintain $80,000 a year, that lifestyle, you're going to have to start withdrawing more than $80,000 a year because of inflation. The cost of living will go up. Now, I know that you're 
you have a financial planner, they probably factored in that extra withdrawal, but nevertheless, your your balance is going to dwindle. It's going to go down, especially if you have unexpected expenses come up. How many people do you know after they retire get sick or have problems with their home, repairs needing done, or some family problem that requires money. You know, you never have a perfect life and you never have uh, a life without any unexpected expenses. It just doesn't happen. So that is a very fine line there to maintain that lifestyle. And in addition to that, if your balance starts to dwindle, if it starts to go down, you get into that position where, you know, cost of living's going up, you got to withdraw more from your balance, from your principal balance. You're put in a position of having to hope that you die before your money runs out. Now, $2 million is a lot, but it gets to be less and less every year. Just look at the price of a house. Look at how overpriced houses are. If you, you know, What if something happened? What if your house burned down and uh, your insurance company pays it off, but the cost of houses suddenly shoots up, you know, your insurance payment may not cover that anymore. And in the last couple of years, that's exactly what's happened. Housing prices have skyrocketed. And uh, I could go into a lot of reasons why that's happening, but it happened regardless of the reason, and it can happen again. Some other things to think about is there is no guarantee that you will always get 4% interest, something we've learned over the last few years. There's no guarantee. Now, you might take that money by by treasuries with it. I guess you might have a guarantee on that, but I don't know. I don't deal in treasuries, so I'm not really up on that. But if we're talking about just a savings account in a bank, probably the worst place to put your $2 million, there's no guarantee that you're going to get 4% interest. Things change, and there's no guarantee the financial institution holding your savings is going to survive for the next 30 years. And then if they don't, there's no guarantee your money's protected. Um, so the problem with savings, we have a problem here with the concept of savings in retirement. Um, I like to look at it this way. I think there are two pathways you can take for retirement. There's a savings path and there's an investing path or the income path. So you just have to decide what would you rather have, the security of having your savings there Or would you rather invest that money and have income every month for the rest of your life? Now, if you're not careful, you could end up with the third option. This is is what I call the retirement abyss. It's where people get the idea that they can have a, a good life living on their Social Security check, which is nonsense. It's about your the average social security check is about $1,350 a month. So um, you're not going to make a living on that. You're just not going to, you're not going to make it on that. I know I have had friends and relatives who have tried 
and they go back to work. If you ever see, you ever wonder why a 70 year old would go back to work? Well, it's because they can't live on their social security. They didn't plan for their retirement and they don't have a choice. They have to go back to work. All our lives, been pounded into our brains to save, 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 put money into savings. But you know what? Nobody seems to be doing it. And that's just human nature. Nobody does that because I think, you know, it, it, my retirement's a long way off. When you're young, in your 20s or 30s, you think, oh, that's a long way from now. That's 30 years, 40 years away. I don't have to worry about sa- saving now. So what do we do? We spend that money. How many people do you know who make $80,000 a year that have saved $2 million? How many people do you know that make $80,000 a year could save $2 million? Could you? I mean, uh, you know, you have $80,000 your salary. And guess what? You probably have $79,000 a year in bills. Because have you ever heard of Parkinson's law? Parkinson's law states that work will fill the amount of time allotted for it. Any task that you're given will fill the the amount of time that's allotted for that task. If you apply Parkinson's law to money, it's like this. Your expenses will rise to meet your income. Think about that. Every time you've ever had a step up in income, what have you done with it? Did you continue to live the same lifestyle? Did you go buy a new car or did you get a bigger house or a bigger apartment or whatever? You didn't keep the same lifestyle and make more money. You took the extra money and you spent it on a better lifestyle. I'm all for enjoying my life and enjoying a lifestyle, but you shouldn't live at the limit of your means because you will never have extra money for anything. Now, here's something you need to think about. And I'm coming at this from the angle of being a real estate investor and a real estate broker and uh, advising people on investments in real estate. Uh, Wealthy people don't save to accumulate wealth. You can't save your way to prosperity. You just don't make enough to do that. Wealthy people do not save to accumulate wealth. They save to invest. And when it comes time for them to invest in something, well, they save up the money for for whatever cash part they need in that, if any at all. And they make the investment, and it's going to be an investment that's going to produce some income. Saving to invest makes sense, but what do you invest in? Well, it's that's up to you. It's uh, one of those choices that you have to make. One thing to think about, though, is that most millionaires have an average of seven streams of income. Well, where do they get that? Where do they get those seven streams of income? Well, they invest in businesses. They invest in real estate. They buy income-producing assets. And that's what creates an income that you can keep for the rest of your life. That's how you can retire. I have two real-life examples here to give you. These are examples that I can personally verify. I have known these people. I have uh, the second one I actually helped do this. The first one, this took place in Midland, Texas. I was there having dinner with some of my real estate investor clients uh, from California, from Fresno. 
And this was the craziest coincidence. <laughs> the guy got up to go to the bathroom and on his way back, he ran into some guy that he knew from Fresno in this restaurant in Midland, Texas. And uh, he introduced us and, you know, we talked a bit and we went back to dinner and he told me the story about this guy. And it's a great story. He worked for a grocery chain. Now, so well, uh, you wouldn't think of somebody like working at a grocery chain to, to, to be this well invested in, in something. But for years, this guy had been buying houses. He'd buy houses one at a time. Now, I'm not a fan of residential real estate investing, but if you do it right, it can be really good for you. And that's the, and it's the way this guy did it. He did it perfect. It was exactly what you should do. He bought these houses one at a time. He never sold them. He just bought, bought them and held them. And so his formula was buy it, rent it, and hold it. Never sell it. So when I met him, he had around 30 houses. So by the time he retired, these these things were all paid off. He didn't owe any more money on them. The income from the houses and the built-up equity, that was his retirement. Can you imagine how much income he had off 30 houses? All paid off, no loan payments to make. Imagine if, say, you had an average of $2,000 a month in rent from these houses times 30. That's $60,000 a month. That's pretty good income for your retirement. That is getting really close to a million dollars a year. And chances are this guy owned these houses in California. Rent was probably easily that high, maybe more. So, so that was a brilliant way. He was very patient. That took a lot of patience. But he never had to worry about interest rates on his savings. He never had to worry about running out of money or the cost of living going up. He was set for his retirement. So the second example here, uh, and I wrote about this in another newsletter, and I think I've talked about it on maybe two or three podcast episodes ago. A retired couple came to me with a building they had, they had closed their business. I wish they'd come to me before the business closed so I could have sold the business too, but they didn't. And so they had this empty retail building, really good location, high traffic, and they wanted to sell it. But I proposed a couple of options to them. They could sell the building, and they would have probably gotten around eight hundred thousand. You know, we listed it at a million, but I, uh, I felt like they're probably not going to get that with it empty. They're going to get around eight hundred thousand, and you know, it was shown to a couple of people, and they was kind of their feeling too. That was uh, what they they came back with. The other option was lease the property. Let me put a tenant in it, and I felt pretty confident I could get them a hundred thousand dollars a year in income on that property for the lease. That would make the building worth about $1 million, possibly more. So that's what we did. We put a, put a tenant in. We got a five-year lease with a five-year renewal option, 2% annual rent increases every year. Uh, so now this couple is getting the $100,000 a year 
It's a triple net lease, so the tenant is paying for everything, paying the property taxes, the insurance, the maintenance cost on top of the rent. So there were no expenses to the landlord. The owner of this property had no expenses on this property. And they had it paid off because they had been paying on this for a while. So $100,000 a year, positive cash flow added to their retirement. That's quite a, that's a great retirement on top of what they already had. And we added at least $200,000 in value to this property. How did that come about? Well, the value of commercial real estate is based on the amount of income it generates. So when that started generating income, $100,000 a year, it added about $200,000 in value to that property and possibly even more, possibly 300000 So we may, if we went to sell that today, we could probably get around $1.1 million, which is, I think, somewhere around a 9% return on the investment. So they decided to keep the building. And then every, two, every year, they get a 2% rent increase. So you know what happens? Every year, the value of that building goes up because of the rent increase. Because their income goes up on that building. Their net operating income increases. So every single year they're going to add about $20,000 in value to that property just from the rent increase. If the price of real estate in the area goes up anyway, it's still going to go up by that amount. But they've also saved thousands of dollars a year in taxes because they get to depreciate that property And uh, real estate tax benefits are huge. So they're so much better than, I don't, there may be something just as good. I think oil wells and airplanes, maybe. (laughs) The tax benefits on real estate are, are amazing. That's why you see a lot of real estate investors that don't pay taxes. That's why Donald Trump said, I don't pay taxes. I haven't paid taxes. And, he, you know, if you ask him why, he, he always says, well, it's because I'm smart. Well, it's because he's a real estate investor. That's why he didn't pay any taxes. Wasn't anything shady about it. It was legal. Government gives us the incentives to buy real estate, to invest in real estate by giving us so many tax breaks on it. They usually don't have to pay any taxes on the real estate income. So what's better, do you think? Save or invest? Savings for retirement? Or invest for retirement and get income for your retirement. Pretty clear to me, I would rather invest. I mean, here they had a million-dollar property making them $100,000 a year, or would you rather have a $2 million savings account making you $80,000 a year and the value of that savings account is not going to go up? Probably go down. The value of that property, the real estate, is going to go up. It may go down, but it'll go back up. Real estate never goes to zero. And it's an asset that you can leave to your kids. You can, this is a multi-generational wealth thing. When you die and leave that to your kids, the tenant's still going to be paying rent. The lease still holds in the transfer of the deed. And you have a multi-generational asset. Multi-generational income. So that's about it for this episode. I hope hope that gave you some insight 
into what goes on with between savings and investing, why you want to think about investing in real estate, whatever kind of real estate it is, whether it's residential or commercial. My preference, of course, is commercial. So I'll see you next time on the Financial Momentum Podcast. 